Can you wind it back and start recording a few minutes ago? <laughs> we can cut it on any, any of this out. Yeah. No, we're not cutting. We're trying to add. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes, and. <laughs> so tell us more about Shem, the stooge. Oh, yeah. People who think that like Shem's a bad one of the three stooges, it irks me to no end. It pisses me off. Shem's an awesome. He's one of the original think, three stooges. Do you think people just say that without actually ever watching the three stooges I, or knowing anything about them? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a shallow perspective of the three stooges. It's incredibly yeah. shallow. Yeah. Shemp is, first of all, Shemp is hilarious. And he's also like, he even came back when Curly had the stroke. And then like, because Curly's, I didn't know Shemp and Curly were brothers until that, until kind of recently. They, did you guys know that? When I was a kid, they would play the Three Stooges before school and they would play, they would put like these fact things Mm. on the screen. Like pop up video? It would just be like before. Like, after like the they would fact break, they would they, fact check the three they stooges. Would, they would just say that like Curly broke his arm in this episode or something. It would be like oh, some sort that's of like, awesome. like yeah. pop up video, but just for the three stooges. stooges. I think it was on WGN in Chicago. Maybe. <laughs> that sounds great, yeah. man. Imagine watching the three stooges before school. Were you all like riled up yeah. like in a, in class? You're like <laughs> doing awesome. hijinks. I know my my. Uh, my mom always tells me her brothers weren't allowed to watch the Three Stooges because they'd rough house too much afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd get gonna, them all riled up. It would dri- yeah, it would drive them to like insanity and they just start like hitting each other all the time. That's like me after watching Robocop when I was like eight. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <a, laughs> I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you remove creep. But I mean, you can't really say that to your mother. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Fully Automated, an Occupy IR Theory podcast. Okay, folks, we are here with uh, Charlie Umland, Jim Calder, to talk about uh, our uh homework for the week which is to watch all of the uh episodes of i can't get you out of my head by adam curtis and uh i want to give special thanks to darren latanik who is also with us today as our producer and maybe chiming in as he sees fit Uh, he always has some good comments so we haven't done a chairman mo episode for quite a while and uh i hope in this episode we can also get to uh hear how chairman mo is doing uh, he has been involved in a lot of self-education. Uh, he has uh, basically been doing a, a one-man struggle session for the past uh, 18 months or so during coronavirus. So he, he may make a guest appearance at some point to uh, tell us how he's doing. Um, but um, let's start with Charlie and Jim. Uh, just give us a sense of how you uh, have felt about the emotional history of the age of self, which is... Adam Curtis's documentary, I Can't Get You Out of My Head. Maybe Charlie will go first. Oh, okay. I thought it was a, a awesome documentary. We'll, we'll, we'll get into talking about the way that he presents the different characters in it, because I think it's whatever. It's interesting. But I think overall it's really good and it's worth watching and uh, also entertaining. I really enjoyed it, uh, especially the fifth episode, I think, mm-hmm. was really good. Um. There's some of it was edited out on uh, YouTube. Would you like to elaborate on that? There seemed like there were some weird jump cuts in the video I watched. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. 
Which was I, I didn't notice that and, myself. And but. one of them had a I think the fourth one had a war a, a content warning. Like, okay. are, you, are you sure you want to watch this? Because some people say it's not very a uh, very good thing to watch. It might be might be a bad thing to watch. And, and you that watch kind it, of a warning. You watch it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. I watch it. It was called like. I wa- like my think or something like oh I watched it on the channel I watched it from is Adam Curtis documentary yeah okay so, so the fourth and fifth ones I guess the way he presents the history and what it's supposed to mean mm-hmm. but I think overall it was good and worth watching and um you know it's like eight hours long but I think it was eight hours <laughs> well spent it, in my in my opinion it's very hard to make some generalizations out of eight hours of material for yeah. sure uh Jim what did you think well, I, I certainly, I always enjoy Adam Curtis um, from the other things I've seen as well. And um, I definitely enjoyed it. I, um, I my first sort of response to it was not maybe as positive as Charlie's. Like, it's not that I didn't like it, but it was, um, you know, there's kind of the weird historian thing in me that's like, yeah, is this real? Like, it, like, yeah. Like, and I get it, like his I method, his gift, his yeah. method is sort of using you know, this BBC footage and these, these characters he's sort of creating um, to weave a story. And so in some ways, you know, that's not the point, like, but there was a part of me was like, and then that, that's sort of frustrating because I tried, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in school and learned about the cultural revolution and stuff. So it's like, I don't remember if this is right or not sort of thing, but, but also just like, you know, anyone making these really broad, sweeping things about um, a big part of history with a, you know, kind of small anecdotal example or something. Um, that's kind of neither here nor there. I think that's just part of Adam Curtis. Do, like, do, um, you, do you think overall, though, the story that he tells is uh, relatively accurate? I, I'm not As sure. a historian. I don't know. Like, like it made me want to like. Uh, I'm it, not saying that it's a complete picture. It's obviously highly abridged and specifically uh, curated to focus on the specific themes in the movie. So I actually, um, but that's different than being of, wrong or incorrect. You know, do you know, does I think, that make oh, sense? Yeah. Um, one of my, um, uh, closer friends from when I was in grad school, um, was a professor of Chinese history and Chinese gender history as well. Um, so, I actually reached out to him on Facebook like oh. at one point to be like, what do you think of this? And one, I wrote, it was like, a, it was so bad. I wrote this at like eight or nine o'clock at night or something. And uh, our, it was like one of the, you know, when you're like trying to write on Facebook and it keeps being like message, not sent message, not sent. So I wrote the message like 50 times. Oh my God. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I like, I like never went through and, I forgot about it. And then I like actually checked my Facebook like three days later. And like, I think it went through it like five in the morning or like something weird. And then it was just like, his response was just like the Facebook, like thumbs up or something. I was like, maybe I'll look at this. I was like super embarrassed. So I was like, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of, I, you know, I, I would have, I would have loved, I would have, of them. Do you think, I hope 50? not. Um, <laughs> I would have loved, I would have like loved to hear his thoughts on that. Like, um, especially because I know that's a real focus. And so I would love to hear a historian's thoughts on some of those things. Um, but again, I think that's a little missing the point of what Adam Curtis is trying to do. And I don't think he's, he's probably not being 
you know, willfully wrong about something. Like, right. I, you know, there's a certain amount of trust I, I give them with things like that. Um, I found this one, like, compared to, like, something like hypernormalization, which I thought had, like, sort of a more coherent point. Like, I definitely found myself sort of being, like, where is this going? Like, uh, a little more. And um, although I would say by the end, like, I really liked the last episode. It's probably my favorite. Um, and... And also reading some interviews with him, I thought were were really interesting and, and sort oh, of Adam focused. Curtis? Yeah, yeah, and sort of focused it a little more. Um, I will say, like, I don't know. Is this a good time to say, like, I know we're gonna we're gonna bring up some um, issues with it, but I I feel like I had kind of two main issues that sort of stuck out with me that like I I maybe and I'm willing to be you know proved wrong on these, but the, like just stuck out to me as something I, I wasn't so sure about. Like, is this a good time to, to bring that up? Yeah. It's not a bad time or we can wait until, till later. Um, I guess really quick. I think, it, I think you should, if you I think if in the spirit like of part of your flow of what we're going to be talking about, if it feels good, do it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm an individual. So on the bloodshed mountain. I, um, yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, the one thing I always sort of feel interested with, like his his, he's always talked about that kind of retreat from politics into culture. Yeah, and it's sort of weird that I feel like he is also super into culture. Like I feel like his like like reading those interviews, like n not that you can't be into both, but like he's kind of like the culture and, and he talks about setting the mood and like all that stuff. That's like a huge part of what he's doing. So it's interesting that like that sort of, you know, the Patty Smith or or Joan Baez or something kind of in this one, like it's interesting that I feel like he's kind of critiquing that retreat into culture or thinks it's a retreat, but then he sort of does a similar thing in the way his his documentaries work, which isn't like a fatal flaw, but it's it's interesting. Well, um I think his I think his politics generally are very like sort of whatever, mid 20th century labor, English, like sort of labor. Uh, you mean like labor, the labor party? Yeah. Like, like, uh, I think I, I feel like in general, like he's kind of when he's talking about like uh, the way that he describes mass politics. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like uh, the politics are the intermediaries, the, you know, whatever the people use the politician or, uh, uh, like the politicians to to put checks on the elites, right? Sort of a whatever you know, Marx's class struggle sort of uh, kind of uh, molded and made unobjectionable in general. You know, like he doesn't want to sound like a communist, obviously. Yeah, but like that idea of mass politics is kind of I I'll just say like we should examine it. That idea of mass politics. Yeah. And and the and the real uh, the extent to which the collective can exert itself through mass politics the way that kind of he's sort of hinting towards because I think he puts a lot of eggs in one barrel and it kind of it, in a sense he has his own sort of ideological story and and you're right he doesn't believe in sort of traditional mass politics like that's also something clear from his interviews and stuff like that he like, doesn't but he he but thinks he, there's but a he, new way like that's gonna come from something, uh, which is, I think we could talk about that later. Um, but I, I was going to say this was my sort of second kind of weird critique is like, you know, he used the Graeber quote. Um, to open it up. Yeah. And, and, and close it too, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe we could, I can't remember the quote. Nick, you'll have to put that in post. 
Yeah, um, I'll, I'll put it in. But the fact that we can, can sort of, we help make this world and, and thus we can change it, uh, which is really powerful. And especially as his interviews, he seems really into that idea. Yes. Um, but then watching it, you know, it's like, like I remember there's a, a scene where it's a, it's a younger woman who talks about being in the Red Guard and watching, you know, some of those sort of films during the Cultural Revolution and feeling like, really empowered and like we can change the world. But like, it's weird because the story he tells is always like, yeah, people thought they were going to be able to change the world and then they couldn't. It was a, a story of a whole bunch of different people who tried to change the world and failed. So, yeah. so what's yeah. the, what's the new step, right? Like, like I don't see, um, can I okay. make one point that's sort of related to yeah. John's point before we move on? Just, mm-hmm. and I don't really have that much to say about this because I only watched I, one episode. You, I kind of interrupted you, I guess, earlier. I'm that's not... okay. I was, so the only thing I was going to say in the, Similar to what Jim was saying about reading an interview with Adam Curtis where he was describing his methodology was really helpful in order to contextualize what he was trying to do. Because when I watched it out of context, I definitely had issues with the methodology because, for example, yeah, I only watched, like mis- historical methodology, historical methodology. Yeah. And and I and I understand why these documentaries appeal to teenagers or like younger people, right? because he's speaking in this authoritative sort of sweep these sweeping generalizations where I think I have as an adult, like an educated adult, I have the ability to parse out what exactly he's trying to do. But it makes me a little nervous that uh, a 17 year old could be watching this and be like, Oh wait, he's right. Like this is true. Or but, just one example before and, and, um, there's a, there was a point in the first episode where he's talking about the John Birch society. He uses this expression a few times in the first episode where he says burning like wildfire through British society or burning like wildfire through American society. And he's talking about the, I don't have the exact sentence, but he's talking about the John Birch society and paranoia over communism. And then the last point he makes is that they even thought that Dwight Eisenhower was uh, part of some conspiracy and working with the communists. And he said, this idea was burning like wildfire through these new isolated American suburbs. I think that is, like to put it mildly because yeah. I was talking to my mother about this recently and and this is anecdotal too but I, I you can look up the approval ratings of Dwight Eisenhower my mom said everybody loved Eisenhower he was a war hero it was a post-war period the percentage of suburban Americans who were you know feeding off this wildfire of of Dwight being a communist um uh well the Johnny Birch society itself was incredibly marginal right exactly but uh, I, but I think that's really misleading to say that whether or not it's a joke but even and he says in the interview that well I use humor some of this shouldn't be taken literally because if you're you know if you get me you know that some of these are like tongue and some of these statements are tongue in cheek but I'm not certain everybody that watches this does understand that it's tongue in cheek if that was intended that way well, so that's why I'm and then I had another example as well. Um, well, let me say this and then see if, yeah, this, yeah. if this makes sense. So so he he one thing that he does is he speaks about the characters mm-hmm. who are historical figures, whatever, um, in it as if he's giving like a third person omniscient narration. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He speaks from That's the sure. from their point of view explicitly. Right. Yeah. And then sometimes he reveals that actually 
that wasn't their point of view and speaks from their new point of view. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Uh, and, and, and he kind of tries to follow through it. Right. Um, kind of bouncing through the, whatever, the layer of appearance that this character seems to make in history. And then there's an ironic, uh, often with them, the characters, there's an ironic twist and they become uh, essentially like the opposite of what they were trying to be. Or they were always that. It's not always clear with them, but, but he definitely, it plays fast and loose when he describes how people feel. Right. In, in it. And then, but he says everybody in this movie was trying to create a new reality for themselves. That isn't true of everyone. No. Similarly, Vladimir Putin doesn't believe in nothing explicitly. Yeah. Yeah. He believes in a lot of shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's something we can come back to, I think, later on. The Vladimir Putin point. One final thing. So it is, it is very artistic and is a work of art and a, very personal sort of video diary kind of almost. that's what i think it should be it shouldn't be i don't think it should be it should be presented as a documentary because i didn't find it that way um i think it should be called a video essay and yeah. i think that would be more appropriate but i think it's a video essay for sure because i think that's explicitly what he does right no and i think that that would be inappropriate but when i when i was watching it, it, it the subtitle was new documentary by adam curtis and but i don't think it is a documentary but it's not less of one than a ken burns documentary or is it or am I? I would say it is. I sound really. I don't know. I think I not. That. I mean, or doesn't Ken Burns do the same thing? So uh, not to that degree. I don't think Ken Burns is saying that. And like another point with that, this is this is really my only comment on this whole thing because I only watched the first episode. <laughs> but um, in that same section about suburbia, I, I feel like sometimes it's working backwards from my conclusion and and then providing the proof because he says that. These people had people living in American suburbs have completely abandoned the idea of community, which I think is also and they're so isolated in this new environment. There is some truth to that. I grew up in the suburbs. There were how the, the, the we weren't totally isolated. There were all kinds of communities. There's Kiwanis uh, Lodge and uh, Rotary Club and Boy Scouts of America. All and, the sports I played, all the yeah. all the stuff my parents were involved sure. in. Like it's ridiculous. To, that's a, and it's a it's a little offensive. I think just to, to 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 label human beings that way that uh, subject to their environment and but it does pawns, kind of come out yeah. of the Robert Putnam kind of argument about bowling alone and how um, sort of as we move into late stage capitalism or post Fordism uh, household income stays the same but only by virtue of the fact that more members of the household are working because right. since the nineteen seventies wages haven't kept up with inflation so you can find people at the pin of their collar still trying to maintain what were formerly protected salaries by unions and um you know with robust um sort of uh, uh, goods and services provided even almost within the union framework but um i think the the point that's the explanation the, i would have appreciated in that documentary yeah yeah i think he <laughs> i think just, he takes but, some he takes some one sentence. he certainly takes yeah. some liberties yeah. um but what I was going to sort of throw out was, you know, just as a sort of a general observation was, it seems that um, he uses the refrain that um, individualists don't believe in anything, you know, whether it's Vladimir Putin or Jiang Xin, uh, you know, there's, there's a repeated kind of emphasis on the fact that people moving towards the individualistic framework, they don't believe in anything except their own power, their own will, their own sort of chutzpah. Uh, and they don't end up looking very good at the end of it, but neither do uh, the folks who believe in in the collective. In fact, if anything, um, in multiple instances throughout the documentary, 
Uh, it's the folks who believe in collectivity who really come out of it looking quite poorly. Um, well, that's fact, kind of how history's the, the, turned the, out. The joke too. is kind of on them. So, um, you know, this is kind of coming back to something Jim noted earlier on, but like, I, I'm just curious at the end of the day, um, you know, having watched eight hours of this, what kind of programmatic lessons we can glean from this? Because it seems like in some ways um, that Curtis... Without saying it, he it's implicit in the in the conclusion that neither approach works. You know, neither individualism works. Uh, sort of more radical libertarianism, uh, radical collectivism doesn't work. So, in a sense, you kind of get a, a weird uh, upshot at the end, which is that maybe he is, in a sense, a kind of a champion of the horseshoe theory and at the end of the day it's like well don't don't try to change anything really because it it leads nowhere uh really the the, the, the this is the end of history and um we might as well all jump on francis fukuyama's hypothesis and um accept the accept the status quo well i go ahead uh, i didn't get the horseshoe theory part of it i do think that's a, a flaw in what he's doing to a certain extent like uh and again, I don't know if we want to talk about some of the other things we've read. So, so maybe I'll try and compartmentalize this. But like, just when just we, try to be specific about when we read the Duvet book, yeah, um, from Crisis Communalization. You know, one of our big critiques of it. Jim, back up there a second and contextualize that just for the people at home listening. Like, we we read we read a book by uh, what is Gilles Duvet. Is that French enough sounding? It's Sounds pretty good for me, to me. <laughs> for my Cleveland accent. Um, Gilles. That uh, was called From Crisis to Communization. And it's like a, what would you say, like a, a communizer, sort of anarchist leaning um, um, book about, uh, you know, like the, it, it it's about what, you know, what's the, it, it's sort of, it's very from like the 68er sort of perspective. And it's kind of looking back on the, the, the years since then. And I think it came out in what, like 2020 or something, yeah, 2019. Yeah. Um, he kind of settles some old score or he kind of. He, he tries to kind of go back to like this, like idea of like, what well, yeah, what the situation is talking about. What were these other groups talking about? And he makes a very, you know, strong point that, these, um, you know, like we can't have, uh, you know, it's very like, it's very left communism. So like we can't have like capitalism. We can't just like reform capitalism and expect that to turn into communism or anything. Like right. you have to sort of, the, the point I want to break or bring up is like, it's like you have to break, like there's going to be a break, like, and for him it's crisis, right? Like there's going to be a break. What you're saying is there's going to be a break between the society that we have right now and the, the future, future society, society with their new mode of production or whatever. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what mm -hmm. you mean. That and it's not going to be any sort of break, reform of and the break is going to be a, a, a revolution um, of some kind. That's what you yes, exactly. And, uh, and he really relies on this idea of like the, and a world revolution if we're talking about duvet, right? Yeah. Although if we really wanted to get into it, his weird version between local and world, it's very confusing. And I think a weak point of that book. Um, yeah. Cause he, he gets the weird localism for someone talking about a world revolution a lot, but um, he, um, he puts so much emphasis on this sort of like 
you know, it's like once the crisis breaks things open, there's going to be this like outpouring of human creativity. Um, and I don't think this is just DeVay. I think lots of people feel this way and that's what's right. going to sort of solve it. But, you know, to DeVay's like own, own writing, it's like, we won't even know what that is until it happens. Right. Like we can't predict it kind of. I think, and this is especially after listening to some of Curtis's interviews or, um, you know, even his interview in Jacobin or something. Again, he has that Graeber thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's like very positive. Like we can remake the world because we've already been making the world. Um, but then when you sort of start pinging him down, it's always like, no, I think, I think that he doesn't have a crisis theory, really. He almost, he just thinks like these old ways of thinking are going to die off and something new is going to pop up. And that's like his, pro like, that's his program as far as I could tell. It's just like, mm. um, it's like in some ways it's, it's different ideologically, but it's the same thing as Duvet. It's like the old world isn't working. So a new world is going to emerge. Like, isn't that going to be exciting? And I don't see anything beyond that as a program. Maybe I can offer just as a provocation here uh, to because we're, 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 we're sort of kicking off a, a number of different balls into the field here. Um, I will say that uh, for me, listening to this uh, and watching this uh, documentary in the year 2021, um, I am struck by uh, the fact that I feel very differently about Adam Curtis as a commentator and an observer of uh, our political situation than I felt about him in the year 2016, which is when the documentary Hypernormalization came out. And, um, you know, it, 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 it was uh, such a powerful commentary and captured, I think, some of the dissonance that we were all feeling in the wake of not only the defeat of Bernie Sanders, but of course, the election of Donald Trump. Um, Hypernormalization just addressed so much of what we um, sort of, uh, I think, intuitively believed already about, uh, you know, internal politics of the left, for example, it's, it's a tendency to glom on to radical individualism and performativity. Um, it, it, it quite directly and explicitly articulated uh, a, a worry that I think, um, you know, many people, including like Angela Nagel at the time were, were expressing, which, you know, which was about the, the kind of the fact, the fact that really like collective power since the 1970s has been kind of defeated and and we are adrift as a result uh, without really knowing how to commit to a transformative politics. And so we engage in the politics of transgression. We engage, engage uh, especially now because obviously social media is part of the technology uh, that, that is uh, needing to be considered here. Um, but we engage uh, online in a politics of, uh, let's use the, the kind of right-wing terminology here, I suppose, but, you know, virtue signaling. Um, yeah. I, I, I felt very, I felt very uh, sort of strongly committed to that documentary. Hypernormalization was a documentary that I was evangelical for um, after, after that election. And uh, watching this, you know, it's, it's so much longer it's uh, so much more fragmentary the the, the various uh, persona personae that it follows, um, whether it's Jiang Xing or um, you know Michael De Freitas or uh, any one of a number of other people that it's kind of you know returning to constantly over and over throughout the eight hours. Um, at the end of the day, I I I didn't quite 
field. There was a binding hypothesis that that resonated so much uh, with um, with 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 our moment, uh, the same way hypernormalization did. In fact, if anything, I felt in a way that uh, you know. Possibly this is because I think the left has gained some power and we have kind of gained an alternative kind of sense of who we are and what our potentiality is in the interceding four years. But I think, um, you know, to sort of uh, find ourselves being confronted with this kind of dichotomy that, 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 that Curtis is really working with here, which is again, like, you know, there's, there's a, there's a, there's an individualism tendency in modern society and it tends to result in, um, Shopping. Um, shopping, but it also tends to sort of eat itself. It devours itself. It right. it, it 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 doesn't. Uh, it's based on pure ambition, but beyond that, it has no substance. Conversely, uh, those who have substance have no real kind of uh, those who believe in the collectivity. After all, then have no real ability to recognize the. The, the the genuine need human beings have for individual recognition. And so I find myself at the end of these eight hours kind of wondering what Adam Curtis's politics are. Um, I felt I had a much clearer idea of that after hypernormalization. I feel now that I have very little idea of what Adam Curtis's actual politics are. Now I that's just a feel I that's just me based on me watching it. Like I I could be dead wrong. And I've I've listened to some of those interviews Jim referred to. I've watched um, uh, I've, I've read some of those in, um, interviews and, and watched and listened to them on various podcasts, whatever. But um, I, I, I do wonder what we're supposed to be kind of picking up out of this as a direction to move forward. So, do you guys well, you have think, thoughts on that? He, he thinks that's the. I mean, he thinks that's the. If you wanted to get really like into sort of like Hegelianism or something, like do like it. like he wants like the. And, and I'm basing all of my Hegelianism off of Todd McGowan. I'm going to be totally honest. Um, <laughs> I've only read a, a little bit, but uh, the he's. And I thought this was the same with Duvet. Like, uh, um, same with a lot of books. Like, I think right now there is something where people are not sure where to go. So, and I don't know if this is a treat or maybe this is just trying to be real or or whatever, but it's trying to identify the contradiction that we're facing right now. And I think that's obviously where Curtis sees the contradiction. Like yeah. the, he's, he's the collectivism versus the individual contradiction. And he thinks that that is the thing that will be, and he's actually like, again, in his interviews, quite optimistic that that's what's gonna happen, that that is the contradiction that's gonna be solved. And then apparently we, we may be are able to move through this kind of politics we've had since, uh, you know, for the past however many years. Um, and so that's why, I, that's why I see it. But, but again, that's why I maybe thought sometimes it felt a little repetitive because it seemed like, okay, like, yeah, you're pointing to this contradiction over and over again. These are kind of different ways they manifest themselves historically, but yeah, what's the, what's the plan or something? I don't know. I mean, I don't expect him to have a plan. I don't know. I don't know if it's even a critique or something. Let's, let's I, I think this. maybe let's push his... this because we've all watched Adam Curtis documentaries before and we're all aware that um, the criticisms of him in the past have been that he's ultimately kind of a 
from a social science theory point of view, like he's a constructivist, which means he doesn't really have a political economy perspective. You don't hear him talking a lot about Marx in, in sort of um, edifying terms. Yeah, right? he makes he's, it seem like global he, finance was invented in the 1970s, 70s, yeah, which right. is not true. Yeah, which is completely not true. Like, and it's not it's like, not, and it's not like the U.S. going uh, go, getting rid of Bretton Wood is yeah, is like uh, this was like this massive shift in power around and the, the world. The, the, it wasn't. There's it wasn't. a very there's a very arbitrary move being made in that kind of hist historiography there where you know in the sense like oh well we believed in modernism we believed in collective power up until the 1970s and then basically it got defeated with the velvet underground and um and, and since then, <laughs> right. since then since then we haven't really uh you know lou reed it's all lou, lou reed's fault i, I think this but, is all this is a great this is like a, a very good if you're if you were going to adam curtis yourself a, a critique of adam curtis you're doing it now. Thank you. <laughs> but you know, I think I think what's 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 lost here and what never what what's lost, I mean, my god, it's not even lost, it's never even mentioned is the is the fact that consciousness of p collective power, consciousness of the the uh, the capacity we have for collective transformation is is a is a is part of class struggle and it hasn't always been there you know marx is so clear about this in the german ideology which is another essay we've been reading lately you know i mean part of the reason that essay marx exists, and angles marx and angles excuse me but um <laughs> part of the reason that essay exists i think is to identify uh, a need for collective consciousness in the face of what ultimately is the dominant ideology, which is always an elite or, you know, um, bourgeois uh, ideology, you know, so the, so the ideas, the, the, the way we imagine our lives and our own capacity for change and transformation is a bourgeois project within the confines of the German ideology. Sure, essay. definitely. But, but, but I don't, I just, I, I'm frustrated because I feel that that aspect of uh, the critique, of Curtis's critique was so much stronger in uh, hyper-normalization and in his other documentary, um, I think it's The Century of the Self, but I uh, don't, I feel like it's not so present in this. I think in a sense, what we find here in 2021 with this Adam Curtis is an Adam Curtis who's lost, who's kind of rudderless and who believes that um, the left has kind of disbanded itself into um, ultimately a kind of uh, ineffectual individualism. And the right ultimately is out to kind of murder us, which obviously we know to be true. Isn't, I mean, isn't he's it? not wrong, but at the same time, I don't feel there's a, there's a sense of... Um, you know, as Marxists, because we are committed to the idea of uh, the material conditions of production uh, being a basis, being a platform upon which we can erect precisely the kind of consciousness for transformative politics, which has never been a given, and we've always had to struggle for it. And he gives up. He he gives that up so quickly in Whoops. this. I wanted to 
to throw something in and I'm going to throw in more of our uh, random reading. So I hope this doesn't make the podcast a wheelie, but I thought the whole point was that we were going to talk about all our different reading, reading uh, the book from one Clyde Barrow, like the, um, the dangerous class about the lumpen proletariat. Like one of the things that really, really showed up in that book was that the type of situation that Marx and Engels were talking about is maybe not what we're in right now. That's a very there's, good point. There's a, a, and there has been for decades, like a well, push don't you think, to- Don't you think that works for Curtis too? I mean- Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, so I think like, uh, you know, you, you read, you know, sometimes you read Marx and it makes just so much fucking sense. Right. Like, and you're just like, why hasn't anyone just done like why didn't this why why didn't it happen this way? Yeah, and it's and that's, then you like, have the, to, that's uh, like the eternal question, right? For all communists, and we have to face that. Like, and uh, you know, we we I was going to turn Marx into dogma and all that stuff. Like, and and it's super interesting to read like the German ideology, but then like even going through that and like thinking about the deproletarization of workers and stuff, and it's like. Okay, well, you are in this different situation because the agency Marx gave to proletariats is very specific and it yeah. comes from a very specific place. And are we there the same way anymore? And it kind of seems like maybe we're not. I don't know. I mean, that's a huge question. Well, go back to hypernormalization, like, like, you know, we make the world, but so it doesn't so, seem like it, right? Yeah, exactly. But I, 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 so we all know we do. So in some ways, like, I feel like Adam Curtis is almost trying to, like, catch us up back to that point. Like oh, yeah. back to that point where we have some sort of agency or we have some sort of understanding of how we can collectively have agency. And it's not going to be the same as Marx and Engels, like, because so much has changed since then. And so that's, I think where he came out with this sort of individualism versus collectivism idea, he thinks that's going to sort of, he thinks solve, uh, sometimes I, I could be wrong, but like, Sometimes I think that if he feels like we solved that problem, we could get back to where like Marx was. Like we could get back to this point where like people could act somehow collectively, somehow as individuals. Cause you're right. Marx has both. Like, well, there is so like, like remember when you read when Marx. About, we're not, remember when I was describing the German ideology as driving around the, the block over and over again. So you can read that. Uh, what? Cause you can, read that one sign that's just because marx is a maniac and the way he writes is totally insane and awesome Marx and angles and angles that's right <laughs> i feel like angles doesn't write that way as much uh angles is a bit more he's the one who kind of right. like tries to chill him out but he's like hey just no 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 uh that's one too many that's one too many reversals but i but i actually i actually want to say that like so i don't actually think if we're going through a program or like a so I don't think I don't think Curtis has like a program for a step forward. Clearly. But he does sort of have some ideas of a step forward. Okay. And I think one of the most interesting things he brings up in that documentary is this idea that, you know, so we've been going through for the past at least five, ten years, like with this belief that sort of data controls us. Like like right. I mean, he kind of made he he or that like, yeah, what like we or and it, it comes out of that psychology controls us. Like if we, if you can just predict everything, all this stuff, like, but Curtis really, does he do this in the documentary or just his interviews? Like he, he really, he says like they did some experiments where it's like that sort of priming, that stuff where like all that shit, like. Well, it's, it's a reproduction crisis, right? This well, is a real well, big, says, thing, big thing in, 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 uh, in the social sciences, isn't it? Well, he says uh, like specifically, he says all the shit that like, like, uh, 
Mark Zuckerberg saying that like, we can take all this data from people and then predict all this stuff. And then this is really powerful. Right. Like, like he's kind of the wizard of Oz to Curtis, like the way he's thinking. And I don't know if this, even he though, definitely who, who says this. Even though Curtis is like very, Zuckerberg. Even, oh, yeah, even though yeah. Curtis, there is like a weird extra onion layer where you, where you could end up being like, after watching this documentary, you're like, wait, is the documentary itself a conspiracy theory? The, I like, think the, the conspiracy theory you know is I mean? another like, interesting part of it, but like that part of it, that was the best, maybe the best part of it for me. I think overall, like, but but, but there's there's a few layers there, but like I, I think I think what, like very specifically, like Curtis, at least in his interviews, like says like he doesn't believe that, or at least he's starting to question this idea that Google and Facebook all, that all this data they're collecting about us like actually can control us. Of course not. Like well, he, he says so in the in the documentary as well, right? Okay, I, I'm just I'm making that's, sure. That's kind of how the final. That's kind of the the denouement, or it's not really denouement. Like the the closing, the closing argument that he makes at the end of it is that because we because we now know that uh, all these all these behavioralist experiments don't actually work, mm-hmm. they can't be reproduced, and so so like these sci- these conclusions that were considered, you know, whatever scientifically correct yeah are now essentially invalid in the sense that like i mean that's where that's where he seems to locate his agency in people like or or new or or like a new agency or something like he thinks that people have been sort of on this like you know it's weird that the self can be the most dominant force in society while being endlessly undercut by science all through this all through these uh the whatever the basically the late 70s 80s Mm -hmm. 90s right but I think that's that's part of the the awesome tension that the movie has. But and I think I think that's his most powerful thing. It's like like we all think that we're controlled by this data. We're controlled by this right. this. Uh, but we're not. And this even goes back. And he kind of drags it back into psychology. You can get some like Mark Fisher vibes in there and stuff. And yeah. it's like, yeah. but but Curtis does things like I mean he says it. He's like, humans are stronger than we think. We're not so easily influenced. So, and, right. and then I think his actual conclusions, which I, I don't think are like horseshoe theory, like Nick, okay, like I think cool. his actual conclusions are just like, no, like the actual, the reason people all voted for Trump wasn't because they were all tricked by the internet or no. something. It's that you He's can like, choose to believe in something. Yeah, because it made the most sense for them right then. And it's, it's right. not like it has to be rational or something, but he's no. like, he's like, no, that was a, just a wasted opportunity. Like there was a huge mass push of people trying to sort of what's he say in his interviews he keeps saying like they were hitting the piss off button or something because right. you know he's yeah. british and says stuff like that but like uh <laughs> he uh like that's where he thinks i i feel like that's where i actually found some agency in his work okay is that yeah we really believe we're oppressed by these certain data things but like actually you know it's like it's like zuckerberg we all believe what Zuckerberg's selling to all the advertisers, like all the people he's getting to advertise for him. Like, yo, we can predict all this stuff. We can, we can, you know, and you see those articles like Facebook can tell if you're about to break up with your girlfriend or something mm-hmm. because of what you do or like something like that. Like, but it can tell. Like maybe, but the whole point is it doesn't seem to be as powerful. Curtis thinks there's, there's some weakness there that they've, they've over, oversold themselves mm-hmm. and that we're all buying that. And then it's like, and then that becomes a reinforcing thing. Like Mark Zuckerberg is powerful because we believe he's powerful. So people give him money. Like people give him that. Like, like. But it's not just that he 
I mean, it's not just the belief or the belief in the belief or whatever. It's also that. Well, there's a material element of that because he's in, in business getting money and power. Like, but but I think what Curtis is saying is that, that that's kind of built on a house of cards. That's not, they can't do it. Like basically Zuckerberg can't do what he thinks he can do or what he promises people. Or Google can't do the same thing that they promise. They can't collect all this data and control people or think about things or predict things in the same way that they really thought they could, which he would say is like, just like, you know, for, for Curtis, that's just like the fucking British spy agencies all over again. Yeah. They've like reached this really high point. Everyone kind of believes in them. They think they can predict, they didn't predict the fall of the Soviet union. They didn't predict all the people who were just defecting to the Soviet union on their side. Like they were pathetic kind of. And it's like, I think, I think maybe there's something in Curtis that he thinks that like, these people we we really think are and scarily powerful that we're afraid of that we're worried about like collecting our data controlling us through data like that he thinks these might be like i don't know paper tigers or something and that like maybe that's an avenue for agency that we can we're going to realize that that's actually bullshit we actually are stronger than we think and we do have more agency than we think and we do have more power i felt that, that that was like the closest thing to him actually kind of giving an example that proved his thesis right hmm. which is true but it, it, that is like his thesis, right? Like that we, yeah. His thesis is that we have more power than we think we do. But again, like his, so that's the only the, example I saw that you, actually showed that. But you thesis. don't have to choose that. You don't have to choose between individualism and your and uh, whatever personal self development and collective um, action. That you could just easily have both. In fact. You know, it might be easier to do both than to, this do, is, than to do one and not the other. But this he doesn't is, explain that or show an example of that. At no, least no, no, no. He I only shows how everyone fails when they yeah. don't do that. When they do, they try to do the one. That's what I mean. And then I it gets mixed up with the other. Yeah. But he himself is, I think, uh, has a tendency to kind of cut off his own arguments uh uh, legs beneath the knees, so to speak. You know, one of the things that I think is really interesting is how um, he repeatedly kind of comes back to this idea that populism is really uh, a strategy that is deployed and used only by radical individualists who believe in their power, but in terms of their substance, believe in nothing. Right. So populism itself is something used by Putin. It's used by neoliberals. It's used by the right. But in fact, I think at the end of the day, uh, one of the things we believe in is the possibility of a left populism. And that, I think, is a left populism that's embedded in the idea of a shared and democratically elaborated rationality. Uh, for the organization of production, for the organization of of life, um, uh, I mean, and and is maybe not entirely um, uh, opposed to the idea that technology can have a role in this. So to simply, you know, this is what bothers me is that if we simply reduce Facebook, if we simply reduce, um, you know, cybernetic solutions, which is I think something that he's kind of hints at more than once in the documentary that, you know, because he talks at length, for example, about how, uh, you know, at first we sort of experienced chaos theory and the idea that systems are complicated. And then Silicon Valley responded to this with the idea that, oh, computers will save you. But of course, this was bullshit, right? And, um, 
I think there's there's a kind of a a, a, a sort of a it's it, it there's there's a glib kind of papering over um, possibilities here within within the within the ferment of technological politics. I think there is such a thing as a left wing cybernetic politics, which I think doesn't work well for him. He can't really embrace it because it's almost like if it's technological, it's got to be bullshit, right? It's got to be part of a of of the the, the cynical. Uh, populism um, of the same sort that Chang or Putin would embrace in their politics, um, you know, the, the, our, our Silicon Valley, you know, selling us this idea that 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 um, you know um, the experts. But there know, are ex- but all I, those people are explicitly anti-populist. No, no, he explicitly says Putin was a populist, Chang was a populist, Silicon Valley is in a sense populist. So um, I think there's just a kind of a strange. Well, but don't you think in some ways that like, don't you think, and, and I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off, but don't you think in some ways that he's, he's actually saying this, this technology isn't inherently like dystopian. Like the fact that it can't accomplish what Mark Zuckerberg is saying it can, yeah, yeah. that they can't just control you and like ruin your life and all that stuff. Like yeah. that's actually, to me, was kind of like a push for maybe like looking at technology, like more, like I think he, like more realistically, like, yeah. like it actually like, oh, these aren't controlling the weather machines these are they can't do what um you know everyone's promising with this sort of like extreme cybersecurity dystopian thing it's like that's actually just a problem that that's a, that's actually just a false promise made by these right. tech companies because they're capitalists and because they're trying to right. do this yeah. so to me like and I don't think he actually totally goes there so I'm not trying to put words in this mm-hmm. mouth but to me that actually means like okay yeah maybe these aren't so dystopian just on their own, like maybe there is like a place for them. Right. So I guess I took the, I mean, I, I think we're watching the same documentary, but I, I maybe took right. an opposite take of it. No, I'm, I'm very interested in that. That's, that's a good way to put it. I just felt that in a sense that, that um, he, 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 he seems to sort of have a, um, a voice um, for the critique of um solutionism you know um it's not going to be cybernetic it's it's you know you you got to watch out for these demagogues these populists um, wait he doesn't ever call anyone a demagogue in the entire documentary no but he calls people populists and i think it's very strongly implied that vladimir putin for example but is, is isn't a his whole main thematic message a pro-populist one in the movie i have sort of personally found an anti-populism in this documentary okay but like isn't like i think he sees i think i think he uses the when he uses the word populism it's as a critique of kind of uh um you know uh, specific individuals who have themselves no political beliefs he he says this again i'm just kind of going back what i've said earlier on chang has no personal beliefs. Putin has no personal beliefs. Silicon Valley guys have no personal beliefs. All they believe is their own power to affect change. It's a repeated theme, he says, throughout they the whole no thing. They have no collective beliefs. Yeah, they don't believe but, in, okay, in, in right. collectivism. And so when, and, and what is populism except a kind of a politics of puppetry that these people are kind of trying to engage in to lead the masses up the garden path? Ah, so it's like in Clyde's book. Yes, yes, that 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 ultimately a these masses class. are susceptible 
all too susceptible um, to the false promises of these potential Honestly, leaders. Honestly, I just, I just feel like the main message of the movie was the exact opposite of that. Okay, well, I've, go for like, it. And dramatically so. He speaks from the voice of appearance. He 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 narrates the 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 uh, the the story of history from the point of view of appearance, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but as but omnisciently, right? Like if if uh, you know Hegel's right, and you can tell what people who people really are by what they do, right? Then he says this is who the, who this person is, and then in the next episode there's someone else because they did so they do they actually were doing this other thing. Sorry, we're getting way off the off no, base. but where I guess about the so basically the concrete so question what, what I would is, ask what is, you is what is what is uh, uh, Curtis criticizing? Um, at least uh, not maybe morally criticizing it, but at least criticizing it as an incredibly flawed and one sided v- viewpoint attempting to solve. The you know whatever the great problems from this with this singular with this one cool trick right everybody's trying to solve the problem with one this one neat one cool trick no but I've been doing that I got my uh, DUI expunged (laughs) (laughs) okay don't put that in there (laughs) but so like so like what's he critiquing he's critiquing tech uh, technocracy he's critiquing um, the anti democratic tendencies right. He's a huge proponent of dem- democracy in general throughout but the film. But name one good example of populism in this documentary. Well, Nick, can I can I add like a, a kind of weird caveat to like? Sure. I think that one of his what? one of his things that he's brought up is that I don't know. I don't think he actually said this, but but maybe you could get implied that that he brings a lot up about the relationship between politicians and the people. Yeah. And right. so, like, so in, the, po- the, the politicians used to do what the people were used to be answerable to the people. Like, like it's almost now they don't care. It's almost that's, like there isn't populism anymore. Like, yeah. they, like, they, mm-hmm. like you can run on the most populist uh, platform you want, but that whole idea that the politicians are going to be connected and and be able to use the power of populism as well. Yeah, it's not. It's not actually. Was the fourth episode is is called what? The people are stupid. It's the whole episode is about how these people completely misunderstand the actual the actual rationality of people. Instead, instead of understanding that people whatever. But it's also it's I mean, it's almost more structural than that. Right. Like it's like or it's not more. It's it's kind of what you're saying. Like like it's like the fact that politics has changed to the point where just no matter how people get elected, no matter what they run on they're beholden to these other interests and not the people, but also it right. works both ways. They can't use people power to, to further their, their agenda. Like maybe FDR or someone did or something like that. Right. Right. Like, because, because why, why can't they do that? Why can't they use the power of the people to further their agenda? According to the documentary. According to the Curtis, it would be like, so sorry. Why? <laughs> Well, it's uh, the uh, it, like because the because the politicians have given a power to technocrats or banks or he would say banks or something like that. Right. Like because the politicians themselves can't actually do anything. Yeah. And the people know that. Yeah. Exactly. People know that. So so essentially, for Curtis, like there's no it, it's a there's no real populism. Like like right. There's like, no potential for it. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I mean, there is, um, but. Through the examples he shows that like he's shown how like even even people that 
come up with a populist sort of rhetoric or something. They don't, they're not actually populist sort of, right? Or they try to be, they try to be until they're confronted by the actual reality mm-hmm. of what they're trying to do. So I think you are in this, you and I are on the same page with this, right? Like I think, I just think, I just think personally that like this documentary overall is incredibly pro people yeah, and incredibly against the perception that, that the people need to be managed and controlled. And in fact, the problem is that managing and controlling the people causes incredible hatred and resentment. I I totally agree with that. But, but like, that's, a, that's again, where he runs in the thing. Like, so what's the... What's the solution what to class is to struggle, be done? What is to be done? What are we going to do? Besides Lenin, if everyone just got on board with Lenin, we'd be fine, right? I think in general, that's what I was saying of that comment I made about, not necessarily, well, it is pr- a little bit of being provocative, I think. But on the other hand, I think his project seems to be to put put ideas out there and and let them let people interpret them how they will. I don't think his intention is to have a project. I don't know. That's not the impression that I've got. I watched just a couple of his documentaries. I mean, he's that the impression that you get that I don't, I think he's more of a exploring, exploring ideas rather than coming to like, he's doing what everyone does now, which is say, here's what's going on. Right. Sure is fucked up. Yeah. Don't you think we should do something about it? Me too. What do you think we should do? I'm sure you'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, that, that, well, that's why that's why I compared him to Duvet, and he's super different than Duvet. But like, oh yeah, it's the His same. Politics sort of, are super different. For it's sure. the same sort of thing, right? It's like, yeah, it does. Like that's why that's why I was interested in this idea of him pushing against like the technology or something. Like that did seem to me to be some sort of push towards agency. That's like, yeah, useful and like, like the problem is that the problem is that it. If you treat everyone as part of a system, right, which which actually gets into a weird problem with cybernetics, mm-hmm. actually. But the point is that, like, right, when he describes China, yeah. it's 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 that it's that uh, you your feelings don't matter. How you feel about it doesn't matter. Um, and uh, and that's the problem, right? I mean, I think for him, the problem, like, he sees that as very... He wants, tra- to, br- he wants he to bridge that, as, that gap, right? He sees that as incredibly tragic, but he also sees it as incredibly destabilizing to society, mm-hmm. right? When you have a bunch of pissed off people that that know that the politicians can't do anything about anything, then yes, they're going to do a lot of crazy shit. It's like, well, look how he describes the, the 2008 mortgage crisis. He says, why did the mortgage crisis happen? Because... They lent a bunch of money to poor people who couldn't afford to pay their rent, yes. pay pay them back. Okay, true. it's totally true what happened, right? But Curtis doesn't say, "Oh, it's because pe- poor people wanted houses." That's the problem. He fully accepts that it's very rational to want a house, especially if they're telling you you can take a loan to buy one. No problem, right? It's no problem. So, like, it is true. That what happened in 2008 was that the bankers gave a bunch of people that couldn't afford houses or for afford their loans loans. Right. That's what caused the problem. Well, and then and then didn't they use like a current 
according to Curtis, like that isn't a dig on the people. They oh no no I didn't think that was no I like, don't I don't think he makes digs on the people, but I think he sort of tends to imply that um, populism today um, is uh, wrought by radical individualists who have no particular beliefs themselves, but who have radical belief in their own power to affect change. And he's not, I don't think he's wrong there, but I think it's only part of the story because I think there is a history of populism that is principled, a history of populism that believes in the democratic mastery of the means of production, right? Uh, a, a, a history, if you will, which for me is is very reflected in the writings of Thomas Frank, but not just there, also this whole conversation that's ongoing lately about cybernetics and cybernetic, um, you know, the, the possibility of cybernetic management, democratic uh, management. So, um, you know, it just, it seems to me that, that uh, when you simply kind of make claims as he does, that uh, complexity theory was a kind of ideological facade erected by Silicon Valley in the face of chaos, you know, um, and that it was a false promise. Um, I think obviously in the hands of Western Silicon Valley capitalists, it is a false promise, but there's no doubt that um, they were gleaning and, and sort of riffing off ideas that came from very principled, very, uh, you know, thoughtful uh, critiques of the way we we, we, we run our economy. And I, I think that those uh, cannot be hand waved away. And I think there's a tendency here to, to kind of short sell um, expertise. There's a tendency here to sort of short sell the possibility of an integration of populism and expertise, if you will. I well, guess that's Nick, where I'm kind of trying to come from. Isn't this, what, this is what we talk. I thought that Curtis's big sort of thinking about populism was again, that it wasn't I'm repeating myself, but like it wasn't yeah. viable anymore because there used to be a situation which Curtis talks about sort of, I don't, I don't remember if he was like really into it or not, but he was like the, the politicians cannot. Uh, let's just be clear. Can let's I, just, can I just, can I just, I want to give you like an actual quote from the film. Like yeah. this is from the last episode where he says, we live in an age of anti-elitism. Um, it's a populist age, but an age where nobody really has any ideas. And I, I find that immensely it problematic. It sounds incredibly problematic to me because I think we're surrounded by ideas. I think in, in I think in a way we're living through a left renaissance right now. I think there's a this massive awakening. The problem, you know, whether it's it's DSA or socialist alternative, uh, Kasham Sawant in, in Seattle or whatever, right? I'm not really, uh, or you can even go to Europe and look at, at examples there. But, you know, to, to say that there's nobody out there with ideas that nobody out there has any ideas at all is is so dismissive and and frankly it it's it's wrong it's just wrong it's 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 completely not true uh, it's a very lazy kind of uh, journalistic commentary at the end of the day um we, we are living potentially in an age of rebirth and revival uh, i think it's early days for it but i think the seeds of consciousness are there and i i certainly think that they're more there than they have been at any other time in my own lifetime so where is he coming from but you know where is bernie sanders 2016 campaign here um, where are the European uh, political parties that led to Syriza and um, in Spain? I, I want to say, Nick, he, he does address this. So I'm sorry, Darren. I, like, really quickly, like yeah. he 
he comes out and like those, again, these are his interviews, but he's like super pro Bernie. He thinks that, uh, he thinks that the Bernie Sanders movement was sort of like a lost opportunity for the Democrats. Like he thinks that his, his big problem with populism is I think that he thinks that populism doesn't work, at least not the same way it used to, because no matter how you get elected, like we've, our politicians have turned over governance to non-democratic means, which yes. also means that you can't mobilize the people to get what you want to do. Like, a, like as a, a populist, like, a, you know, you think like a, um, politicians who could, who could mobilize people to do what they want and like, or not do what they want. That's Okay. Cut that out. Like uh, you, uh, you, you think of you think of politicians who are like mobilize people to get like huge amounts of support to uh, mobilize people to politically like control their enemies, like do things like that to get something done. What Curtis is saying is that that sort of link has been severed, and that's what he's trying to show through his documentaries. I agree. And so that you can't. So I'm not saying strong. he thinks. I think I, I'm not right. saying he thinks that populism is maybe impossible, but certainly in like. We, I think he's saying like we haven't had a populist movement for a long time. Look, here's the problem. Okay, let's talk about the Thomas Frank thing in Chapo on the last Chapo episode, which was like today or yesterday, right? Okay. The problem with populism is that it sounds very good to say we'll let everyone, we'll let the people decide, right? Which, of course, <laughs> I agree with, right? The problem is that when you talk about populism, um you paper over the actual a lot of the actual areas of of of, uh, of uh, class conflict that uh, that uh, that make populism very difficult when it's this generalized format. Um, and I'll give you an example: Thomas Frank Thomas Frank on the Chapo episode today that I listened to today while I was making hot cross buns, <laughs> as I do. Uh, uh, he talks about okay, populism was really popular for five years. It did really well in lots of places, the middle of the country, but not very well in the Northeast, right? Didn't do well in the Northeast. Well, what was the main platform of populism? Let's let's get rid of, let's get on the silver standard, right? Because this deflation is fucking over us farmers, okay? Well, you know who deflation doesn't fuck over? Workers in the city. It's a good thing for them. Their interests are completely and totally opposite to the farmers in this regard. Because cheaper goods is better for them. Because farmers have huge debt burdens, deflation is very bad for them. Okay, so when we when we talk about the, this kind of stuff, like we say, like, oh yes, there was all these people who were getting fucked over by the state and and the, and the bourgeoisie and the elites or whatever terminology you want to use, and they and they got mad and they tried to run these platforms that would work for them, right? But the problem is that you're if you if you say like okay we're just doing populism now okay well who's populism whose interests are we forwarding and what are the specific goals of our thing of our populist agenda you know well what do you think Charlie what do you think about like and maybe you didn't agree with me with but what I said about Adam Curtis like about what the, he thinks like a real populism isn't really popular or possible. I agree with him that like, it isn't. Do you, do you think that like, like, so in some well, ways. Well, the real, po real populism in this weird sort of like. Well, in some ways 99 versus the 1% is not possible. No. But do you think his populism is like uh, a point where like 
yeah, they're going to run on populism. Their platform might be really populist or something, but deep down they're going to let the, you know, Curtis would say the, the, yeah, uh, the bankers and the, uh, it's possible that that would have happened if Bernie had won the election. Mm-hmm. I'm Do not you think saying that's, that's what's what going to happen. Like, but you it's know what possible I mean? that in the face of, in the face of the quote unquote realities of the situation. Like what is populism in a world run by technocrats? It doesn't exist. Right? Especially the can't. EU, right? Literally like, can't exist. I mean, isn't that one of isn't that one of the things like maybe this is where you're getting it too, Nick, because yeah. I definitely pay a lot more attention to like the or I just I, I don't pay more attention, but I feel more knowledgeable about like the American side of Curtis's stuff. But like like populism and the EU is like kind of a whole different animal in some ways. Maybe it's the same animal, but like it, it, it sort of seems that way sometimes. Like, so is that maybe where you're getting some of no, the feeling I, of populism? I, I, and I, I will say I agree. I mean, I think that there is a real meaningful critique of populism to be made today. It is. Uh, I'm not even against populism. I, th- I think like as far mm-hmm. as you can get something going with it, it's worthwhile. But the problem is that when you go back and say, oh, there's this long history of populism in America. You're papering over the fact that it's a populism that was designed specifically to appeal to the the dying generation of yeoman farmers, who then subsequently ceased to exist. But I think they that's a bit unfair. It, they I couldn't think, get it to happen. I think that's a bit unfair when you're talking about not just yeoman farmers, but like late eighteenth, late nineteenth century farming in the United States of America, which is hardly a, a, a bastion of yeomanry, you know? I think I think you're you're looking at um a, a country at that stage which was not as industrialized as it was in the in the in the 20th century. And that that sort of northeastern challenge, you know, um you know is is a real one. But I mean I, I wouldn't be be super committed to the idea that um that populism is is a is a busted flush uh, in the United States of America. I th- where I, well, just to, to finish the the earlier point though, which is that yes, I mean I think Curtis when, when Curtis lands his blows on populism, he's doing it in a in a in a empirically grounded way, and it's it's hard to refute uh, because it's certainly the case that you know in the Europe in the context of Brexit, for example, um, there was a a, a rather cynical. Uh, manipulation uh, on the part of conservatives in the UK of of a, of a sort of mass popular anti-elitism and obviously and anti straight up anti European Union yeah, ideas and 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 much of that is is well placed and I'm sympathetic towards it I would even say that on on certain days I feel myself very attracted to to the kind of left Brexit platform but I I, I think on the other hand. Um, there's a, there's a there's a there's a, a meaningful and important history of populism in the, in the United States, which shows that it has uh, an authentic uh, trajectory. And I think Curtis just basically ignores it here. I, I I could be dead wrong, but I that that's that's you know in in constantly sort of reducing populism to the um, manipulations, the puppetry, if you will, of. Um, you know, again, these figures, these radical individualists, be it Boris Johnson or be it Vladimir Putin or be it Trump, you know, in constantly reducing populism to an expression of the puppetry of these sort of genius radical individualists um, who, um, you know, try to pawn off on the masses these kinds of false remedies to the void of the possibilities of government in our time. I think at this, in the same breath, 
no like i mean there's a there's a there's a going back to jefferson onwards there's there's a there's a uh, a history of at, at, at least rhetorically. Now, obviously, on the ground, it may have expressed, but you don't want you don't want to necessarily judge people in the past by the standards of today either. You know, and this is Thomas Frank's point. Yes, there was racism in 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 nineteenth century American populism. Yes, it has no, numerous defects, but at the same time, when it came to challenging the powers that be, I, I think he's he, he's he's right. You know that there was there was a need to have a, a, a radical pro-democratic movement and that people could identify with, that people didn't find alienating, that spoke a language that resonated right. with them. And we have, I think- I The I th Silver Standard was the very bad choice, but they, but they never could have- Was it a bad choice then? If you are trying to reach the urban proletariat, definitely. But you're but which, which urban proletariat was that? I mean, I, I'm not. I'm not. Like, obviously, Frank himself. You is don't think there was an urban proletariat in America in the 1890s? There definitely was. That's not what he said. No, oh. I, I think I think Frank is very honest about the weaknesses of the populist movement. I don't disagree. I don't disagree. But at the same time, he's right that what happened starting in in Kansas. You know, because we always sort of we tend to. I mean, Frank's whole purpose is is coming out of this idea of kind of a rebuttal to the deplorables argument <laughs> you know where where we have a, a a tendency on the part of elite mass media in the united states today to kind of ultimately be very hand wavy about the intelligence the rationality the reason of um the kind of unwashed masses in this country yeah uh, we, we we tend to be very dismissive of it we tend to see it's it's ultimately and always the result of puppetry and uh, at the end of the day, I think he's right to sort of identify that it was it was much more authentic, much more homegrown, sure. um, much more bottom up uh, as opposed to astroturf, and that I think doesn't really come through here in this kind of very binary uh, narrative that that Frank puts forward, which is one of like your the individual the radical individualism doesn't work. The radical collectivism doesn't work. So what's what's the Kurdish? Program? You mean? Yeah. What's the program that ultimately comes out of this? Uh, it, to, to, for me, it, well, I just think if we're going to save just, a word, if we're going to pick one of the words that gets uh, incorrectly used as a pejorative today, I think we should save communism before we save populism. Smell the glove. I don't. I don't think. I don't think communism is a resonant term in the United States of America, and I no, don't think it's going to be. It's a pejorative that the newspaper uses to shit on people. Yeah, so, that are poor. So you know, our our um, our private discourse can can talk about the, the the communist potential of populism, but if you're going to bring to the doorsteps of America in an electoral campaign the good word of communism, I think you've got another. Thing coming, you know. I don't think it's just not going to land. I just mean like the quest to save the term populism from the dustbin of history is no more politically uh, strategic than saving communism from it. Oh, it's, no, it's but it's more efficacious. I mean, I I would agree with you that it's no no less political. You think that the you think that the people of America are going to rally around the the flag of populism? I think they already have shown their very capable of doing it in the last election. I mean, you can't gainsay that. Uh, we had about Joe uh, Biden's election or Trump's? The, the 2020 election, I think, is it was it was a massive testimony to the power of a populist uh, agenda and a populist rhetoric in the United States of America. I mean, what nothing will fundamentally change. That's our populist rhetoric. 
or that's not what Trump said. He, you know, he doubled down on many elements of his 2016 campaign. But he lost. He lost by a hair. He lost by a, a freaking. He lost by a hair. There's no doubt about it. If you look, he at lost by the, more than he lost the first time. He didn't lose the first time. Well, only by only by the populist he, measure. He got a much by the higher measure, the populist measure, right? The the raw votes, uh, popular vote, right? The populist measure of who, like, if we were okay, going to have a populist, but Char- Charlie, we can play that game all night long. No, he, no, no. You know, if you look at the electoral college, he lost by a hair. A hair. Right. Biden got in by the skin of his teeth. It had it. It, it involved. Um, well, no, he didn't. He won by a lot. Sorry, but it was uh, close in all the states that he won. What did I say, Biden? Biden no. won reasonably. I don't. Think no, it was he didn't. He didn't. He absolutely did not. Um, it came down to a very, very narrow uh, tally in the end. Yeah, it was like uh, eight states, and Trump had to win them all to win. Yeah, no, but but, but by, he lost by, almost by all of them. numerically in terms of the electoral college because it's a winner take all situation. Biden may on paper look like he won a lot, but but when you when there were there were four states in the final run that that the actual battle was very very tight. I understand, I understand, but my point is that I think they were Nevada. You, you could say, oh, the electoral college is ridiculous, Georgia. or you can say we should go by it. I'm not saying we should go by one or the other. I'm just saying like. If you are, if you're talking about who was more popular by sheer number of votes, who was it? It was Hillary Clinton the first time. It was Biden the second time, right? So, where's the populist roar? Okay, more people turned out and voted for Trump by an order of magnitude. This was a very high turnout election in 2020. I more people yeah, yeah. turned out for him by an order of magnitude than voted for him in the 2016 election. Right. Yeah, he flipped. He flipped. Sometimes, still, it's it's more of like the way they're trying to. He flipped numerous counties, it, right? um, you know, throughout the country, including right. places that he should never have had a run in. Right, his message in. was explicitly uh, less populist than it Texas, was in 2016. It it was less populist in some ways, but I think he maintained uh, uh, his. His messaging. I mean, I I think it was not. It was you know, anti-communist. It was extremely no, anti-communist messaging. No, but he was the one who basically signed off on two thousand dollar checks, plus subs- and a subsequent six hundred dollar check, and and those all had his name on it. And I think you know you can't just sort of dismiss that. So I, I think it's I think the, I think populist um, effects can already be observed in our electoral um, moment. I think we are I think Curtis is fundamentally correct that we are that we in his in the opening of episode one where he says we are living in a populist moment. I think he's absolutely correct. Where I think he's perhaps incorrect is that nobody has any ideas. Um, I think that is too dismissive. And again, I know that this kind of gets clarified a little bit in some of his interviews, but nevertheless, in the interview itself, you would get the impression 
just from sorry in the in the actual documentary itself you would get the impression that Curtis was for example um not entirely uh, opposed to the idea that um there was some kind of positive momentum in the Brexit vote. And I would not personally have supported Brexit. I've said this in other venues. Yeah, but, but you but, understand But what... I also have, I'm also unwilling to completely dismiss it as an illogical um, uh, demand. But that's why uh, I thought where your take of, on Curtis seemed weird, because I, I felt like Curtis was actually into something like that, which I've, just from knowing and talking to you, like you feel Yeah, like but that. I don't think, I think Curtis would not, like me, Curtis would not have voted I'm pretty sure I've heard him say in an interview that he's that he was opposed to. But he saw Brexit. the power in it. He saw that there was something there. Yes. He, he saw that dismissing it was I wrong. Agree. I, agree. Like, I, agree. Like, I agree. I agree. I agree. That's what. That's You're why right. I feel like you and Curtis are really similar. So it was interesting. Like it was weird to be like. I just think perhaps like, hey, perhaps know. more if if more of those nuances could have been in the documentary instead of saying like very ham-fisted things like, and nobody has any ideas about how to fix it, which he says over and over again. You know, these sorts of just very dismissive kind of like, we're fucked. Nobody well, actually, has any ideas. I, I just think that those kinds of um, arguments are too simplistic and are a way for him to avoid having to do the careful work to go back to an argument I made at the very start of this uh, recording session, which is that there's no political economy in his in his approach he and he he has absolutely no yeah. reckoning that rarely discusses capitalism if ever you know i think they right he thinks I, we I can, think we can a, make the world a, a, we can make the world differently but he doesn't mean make the world differently in the sense of like no he's a radical he, democrat he, he, at mean, the end of the he day. means he means like the way you make the world differently is like you use different ideas to make the world. Yeah. I think That's he, not the same thing as yeah. what communists usually mean when they want to change the world, right? And, and, I think yeah, he, you I guys think, can think, tell me I'm wrong. No, I, think you, I think that's absolutely true. I think Nick, he's, I agree. I think he's waiting for the idea to change the world. Like he's waiting for... Yeah. He's well, waiting for the, 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 the contradiction. Yeah, well, yeah. But yeah, he's waiting for that contradiction to be solved. Like, I don't know where he thinks it's coming from. And that's why I get that's that's my problem with him. Like like he's waiting for that new idea that's going to change the world to take hold, but he doesn't really know what it's going to be. But I don't think anyone does right now. No, I I agree too. But it's still a criticism. I think I do. I think I do. I'm going to push back on that. I think I think I do, and I think you do, uh, Charlie, and I think you do, Jim, and and Darren too. But that's because we've read Marx, right? And I think we actually do have a commitment to a kind of Marxist assessment of the populist potential. Look, obviously, we've had the populist... You're just going to say so, that word again, so, aren't you, Nick? So I, I don't want to go down that road again. But but whatever, look, we can it's even a pick, a, pick a different word. violence against me when you say populist, Nick. <laughs> pick, pick, <laughs> pick a different word. Pick a different word. It has... A, I mean, I, I, think, I, I hope... You, Nick, you, you should use the word on, corn instead. <laughs> just say the real movement. Say the real movement. So we just read German ideology, yeah, so you okay. can say the real we, movement yeah, just for okay. this one I'm episode. totally down for that. Let's call it the real movement. Because uh, I think I would actually have a heartfelt and good faith... Uh, I, commitment to that if to that it was notion. really real and, and when we were part of it it would be awesome yeah right it would yeah good good luck to us all but um the uh the the, the end of the day is i i think i think there are ideas out there i, th I think it's absolutely demoralizing for curtis to say we have 
we're living in a populist moment, but we're effectively rudderless. But I think he, I think the whole documentary at the end of the day is a uh, kind of a pincer move that, that Curtis is laying out. And regardless of what he says in his, his in his interviews, it's not what's in the show. In the in the actual eight hours, you only get this um, sort of uh, di dichotomy between collectivists who fail and radical individualists who fail. Well, and also, there's no sense they also that there's an alternative politics They also in that. fail spectacularly in the... Oh, sorry. They also fail spectacularly um, uh, in the opposite direction of their intent, right? Yes. And in, yes. in that way, there is this sort of dialectical nature, uh, dialectical thing to this... To this um, in, in, in a way that's like... Uh, more than any of these other movies that I've seen, in that like... In that like really... That's right. Really, like these people do take their own ideas to their logical conclusions and Absolutely. find themselves yeah. occupying their the opposite of that idea well, every time, right? And that's why I felt it was so insane when, like, I yeah. actually read uh, Curtis's like interviews, and he's just like, he's like, oh yeah, what we need is national like, yeah, health these, service. These are really, <laughs> that, that would sell everything. Like, Curtis is just like, oh yeah, these are really like optimistic documentaries. I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about, like? Like he just means optimistic compared to the 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 psych psychologists and neurosurgeons who think we don't have a consciousness in our and our yeah, and our right. and our we don't we don't actually uh, do rational thought. It's the same. But that's it's the same. that's his We're optimism. Gonna... I'm sympathetic because like I, dude, it's the fucking same since like, and I'm sure there's people before this, but like, at least against the situationists, and then like you know there's probably a bunch of people in between, and you get Mark Fisher, and then it's like there's. Like this thing that you just can't break out of. Like we're all like, it's like an episode of Star Trek where we're in some sort of cube or like. You don't think that that's anti-space or like something like that. And like, but no one said it like, 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 like Curtis, DeBoard, Fisher. Like they're all just like, you know, we're all stuck in this space. Like, you know, they're all data. Like, oh, I'm trying to, they're, they're mapping it. They're like doing all the stuff. And then like, but we haven't had like the point where someone's like. Right. You know, like, okay, well, here's how we get out of it. Like, yeah. but they believe they are, which is, I don't know. That's good. We have to believe it. Like, yeah. I don't know. Is that the stupidest metaphor ever? No, I, I think that's really well. Star I actually Trek. think that's really well. It works. <laughs> I wish Garrick was here. I, just, I mean, I, I just think, but I mean, like, we could push back more. We get populism, but I think like about populism, because I mean, I mean, I think it's interesting, but I think like, one of the run hard problems, speaking of contradictions, and one of the hard problems you run into is that these uh, these populist programs that we're talking about, uh, the the ones that when you say like, you know, nobody has any ideas and you yeah. think and you think they do. Yeah. Well, a lot of the major sort of left uh, programmatic ideas like the Green New Deal, Medicare for all these things, they tend to uh, uh both involve highly involve like uh, essentially like technocrats in that technocrats essentially administer and run them right yeah yeah like, i mean and, that's and, the and, thing and, where's our agency right well that, like where's where's our agency well, as people well, like has 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 anyone explained that sorry to cut you off charlie like uh, i thought that was where you're going but well my point was only just that like you could already see how something I'm not saying the green the green new deal would end up like this necessarily, but you can already see how the green new deal could easily become this sort of bureaucratic nightmare that the right envisions that it is, right? You know, 
Except the right would actually have more control of it, so it would be like, I don't know, we're version of OSHA or something like. Whatever. My point. Know, my yeah, that's it, not my point exactly. though. My point is just is simply just that the whole point I'm trying to make is simply that when you say we're going to have democracy and we're going to have expertise, what do you do when those two things are in conflict with each other? Well, they are right now. Yeah, there's they no are doubt. right now. They yeah. are right now, and yeah. like that's uh, that's like a big theme in in. It, 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 it can't get you out of your head, right? So it 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 becomes a tough problem because, like, you know, you know that a lot of these uh, ex-urban and rural voters you're tra- you're you're trying to reach with your economic message are deeply skeptical of a humongous uh, federal program that's roll and and they they they're they may they may uh, have learned to express that skepticism as. Oh, it's socialism, so we don't want it. But the truth is that they're also skeptical of it because they know that this is another thing that has power over them that they really don't actually have democratic control over. Okay. Even if they, even if it got voted in by their representatives, they still don't control it. So uh, that that's that's I think that's that's the, I think that's our challenge. That's the challenge for populism. Is that like how do you take populism as an idea that means voting for this guy so he can fix this problem for you to populism as taking control of these this this these uh these uh parts of society so that as you say the Thomas Paine-esque wisdom of the people can be actually used to solve these problems instead of uh you know voting for someone to outsource all that problem solving all that work and and uh, ultimately the power over the decisions of how we're going to do it to somebody else. Um, I'm not trying to be against. I'm not trying to sound like I'm against representative democracy. I'm simply saying that if you take the if you take the federal government and then you if you take the government and then you uh, pass a giant law that's centrally uh, controlled by the the. Uh, uh, executive branch like are you really doing populism I, I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to say well, like that's, that's what Curtis point. is saying that's too it is, like, it is, yeah. it is, but Curtis I, is saying that like people I mean, I, are trying to do this populism and it turns I mean, into I think this is the terrain of our problem and it's also the problem of it's also it's like the, it's a it's a real problem sort of theoretically and practically but also a problem in the sense that it's I mean not to sound too Marxist but like these things all end up lining up so that it's actually also a problem with your coalition building, right? Because some people recognize this problem within the this idea and other people recognize this problem with this idea. And then how do you negotiate those things? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I, I know I'm just digging more. No one knows the answers into this. But, but like, you're right. You're absolutely right. I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to like... I'm welcome to, to where we are, right? I'm, I'm just trying... I'm not... And again, I'm not even trying to, uh, to defend Curtis's cynicism where it exists. Um, just to say that like, it's not cynicism for cynicism's sake. I think it's he's taught he's talking probably in a lot of a different way than we uh, were then, about a similar uh, problem, which is that there's a conflict within our society that's sort of inescapable from within this actual way of producing things. Me, me, and which, which we all know. I'm not. You know what I mean? I I hate to reduce it back to that because it sounds like we got nowhere. But like, well, whatever. Like, I mean, there's something to that. Like. I think that, like, Curtis' documentaries, like, are made with love. Like, they're made with incredible good faith. Yeah. 
And, oh, hell yeah. And in that way, they're that's a, that's actually important. Like definitely. This is like a like a I'm trying to think who he did dirty in this documentary. So that, you know, <laughs> he, he he was who who could say like well, that wasn't in good faith. Let well, think. Behind, I I think I uh, Ian Fleming maybe no. Ian Fleming got kind of <laughs> did dirty in that. <laughs> I'm just impressed. That, can you imagine someone being able to write "Love Will Take You Apart" and then also making all these documentaries? That's so awesome. <laughs> Love will take you apart. <laughs> you think of Tony? You think of Tony Randall? Oh yeah, it might be Ian yeah. Curtis. Yeah. But whatever. Um, no, I think I think at the end of the day, look, there's there's. Um, a lot to agree with here. Mm-hmm. I actually am strongly uh, a, a Curtis fanboy, at, uh, even oh, after this, uh, even after these eight hours. You, which, had to, you gotta grill him a little, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and so I guess where I'm pushing back is just with you know on the terms of what was laid out in these eight hours, which are monstrous and huge and very difficult, as we've, I, I, which I think is you know on display even in this conversation we've had this last two hours <laughs> we should but, really go um, through episode by episode really you're right um so but but i think um I you know the fighting to be in this podcast the the background uh condition that he's describing is a very real one i think you know i, I he doesn't mention peter Mayer or, or these sorts of people but you know there's a well-known book um that came out of uh, the european political science uh, context in, in a few years ago called ruling the void and I think uh, it's 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 basically um, a documentary expounding on the views in that book, which is you know that the 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 political parties don't really know what to offer us anymore, uh, except um, to bludgeon us constantly with the kind of wisdom of uh, experts. And uh, at the end of the day, none of these experts are really all that. Ex- they don't really have answers. They don't really have ideas, um, except to sort of keep massaging the status quo and hoping that that will appease us and clearly it's not working because how else do you explain brexit how else do you explain trump these are um uh burn it all down kind of votes that that uh people are pissed you know and this is you know not to throw any shade here but it's something when i when i like that's a difference right but when i think about they they really feel like like really people feel like so when it's it's the anti like fukuyama like it's like yeah it's the end. Well, I mean, you're 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 sort of uh, prefiguring there a comment I was I was going to make. You know, with all due respect to my right honourable friends who do the Alpha Bunga Bunga podcast. I mean, I think they, um, in a sense, go yeah, go. <laughs> no, they 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 go too far with. Um, I think, and in, uh, in sometimes anyway, they go too far. I think with the sort of embrace of the um, the actual demonstrated intent in the current moment of the populist movement and i don't i don't want to see that either i'm not i'm not um willing to sort of accept that just because the people vote for it that it's right i think uh i think you you that's why i sort of insist that populism is a potential it's a field of terrain it's a field of contestation um and uh sometimes it will not go the way that we want i support it because i think it's the it's the best show in town. I mean, I think it's the only game in town, and I think that we need to. But but you know, I mean, even yeah. if everything's going to be fucked up in the end, I'd still rather people got to do what they wanted and say what they wanted and make decisions for about their own lives. And I don't think that would lead to disaster like everyone else does. Sometimes they are votes of desperation. Sometimes they are votes to burn it all down. And who can blame? Who can blame them? They're pissed. Um, so, Everyone's yeah. mad. They've been getting screwed yeah. for their whole life for almost every. Almost all of them have been getting screwed their whole lives. And now they're mad. Well, and what do you think they're going to do? They're, they're going to be crazy. They're going to do yeah. violence. 
and they're gonna they're gonna vote for the wrong guy, and they're gonna click that ad, and it's gonna. I think the Russian box. and and the risk, the venture, the gambit that we're offering, I think, at the end of our commentary, and we should probably wrap it up here. But the the. Oh, the I'm gambit. not done. You're not done. <laughs> Hold my beer. <laughs> I was thinking, who would be the third but, person? Because, like, if you're going to do, like, uh, you know, one done. of these... Uh, I was trying to get us out of this gym. <laughs> one of these things where, like, you vote for, like, who marries who, you know, like... Well, there's, like, a ship... You're talking about, like, uh, you're talking about like shipping a reality people? show. You're talking about shipping people? No, reality show. Okay. Uh, so, Wait. obviously, you would be... Who would Tell you marry? Tell me about your reality show you got going on here, Jim. Yeah, you would marry... Dasha would be the best one, but you'd have to like do a bunch of stuff to do that. And Amy Therese would be the other one. That that would be kind of the worst one you could marry. So but Dasha it, and Amy it, Therese it are getting married? No, 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 no. Someone has to like do a, a like challenge a- to do it. You know, like run through a bunch of stuff or something. That's what they normally do on these shows. And at the end, you get to marry both of them? No, no, no. You only get to marry one. I can't remember the third one. Maybe she... Oh, no. she She was killed in the... Wait, Mao's what? wife was killed. She would have been great, though. <laughs> if, you, way, if you could have married Liu, Dasha. Liu. By the way, how is Adam Curtis so sure that she believes in nothing, by the way? Like, yeah, that, I that, know. like I didn't, you of, uh, He loves saying it to Okay, yeah. fine. I'll ma- Putin can what? be the third one. Oh, yeah. So we have to do a thing. Was, it's kind of like a challenge. And then, like, you get to marry one of them. Obviously, I'm going to ship Dasha and Putin. Dasha, Amy, Therese. Oh! would like a mayor amy tree she's probably real like you know oh right yeah difficult but like that's that's the reality show jim you name three people i decide which two of them get married to each other and which one marries you go yeah that's perfect it's kind of like mash you three more more oh god they don't have to be uh abby martin she's hot who's that that? abby martin uh abby martin's like legendary a picture of abby martin on your internet what tv show is she from uh roots radio or no she's on she's like real palestinian pro yeah yeah she's Uh, great no abby martin's like one of the hottest leftist girls she is fine and her politics are probably better than the other hot leftist girls okay i mean sure okay so who's she getting married to i'm not giving i'm not letting you marry her i thought it was fighting to marry all (laughs) these people you don't deserve that (laughs) Why not? I don't know. Well, I think note, you're better than me. Not the, at all. On, okay, on, then maybe Nick. Fine, Nick's the other one. You we'll wanted have to a do a reality show. I'm trying to help. And uh, all right, Abby Martin, Nick, Vladimir Putin, and, and Nick. Anton Yeager. Okay, Dasha's <laughs> in the other one, and Amy Therese is there too. Okay, so my I friends. have to like do like a bunch of like you know like. Uh, you know, one of those things where you like throw uh, pies at like the thing what are you that, doing? That, that push them in the. Uh, I don't see what's wrong with this. <laughs> That's fair. I okay. think we just figured out who the Felix of the podcast Touché. is. Touche, touche, there, buddy. <laughs> On that Nick, note, if you and play any of this for anyone, I will kill you. <laughs> okay, very good. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, except for the part about Amy Teresa. She deserves it. Yeah, no one else drinks. No, uh, the hottest drinks, drinks, girl on the left contra points. Everyone knows about it. Yeah, she loves costumes, which are hot. If you're having sex, I'm <laughs> totally into it. Okay, folks, give me that money. I want to wrap it up with uh, saying a, a very sincere thank you to Darren Latanic, who has endured the last two hours of complete insanity here um, in Old Town East. And uh, thanks, Darren, for for your for your time and for your for being on the ones and twos for being the producer 
with the most. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you, Nick. This we'll, has been fun. We'll be back soon with another episode of Fully Automated. Thank you. Chairman Mo. Ooh.